Pastor Jeremy and Serena are gone this uh, week celebrating their seventh anniversary. Um, we were talking about in the office the other day, we realized that uh, in another couple of weeks, Sherry and I will be celebrating six times what their anniversary is, 42 years in just a couple of weeks. So we've got them by quite a bit. Uh, Romans chapter 6 today, talking about what it means to be alive to God. Um, someone could get the, um, the lights in the back, the, uh, the, the center spots. If you know which ones those are, Don, it's kind of the, the center one of the, that, yeah, that one, go down. There we go, that'd be good, because we'll... I have plenty of light up here for what I need. And uh, we're going to look at Romans 6 uh, this way for a little while and consider um, the, the structure of, of the passage as well as the wording of it. And I'll, I'll try to move this up some so you can see the bottom half better later. But um, this passage is... Uh, a very central passage for Christian life, especially verse 11, which says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to Christ? How do we do it? And what does that mean? What does that look like? We're going to take a closer look at this passage to see what what this is all about and uh, so beginning with verse 8 here which is our, the first verse in our list uh, now if means uh, since you know how the word if can leave some doubt or, or not this particular word for if means since it's uh, assuming that what Paul is saying is, is true. So we could translate it, Now, since we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. That's been established. If you go back to in, um, the text here in Romans 6 to verse 4 and 5 that we looked at last week, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and so forth. So, um, Paul is referring back to that. So, since that's true, since we, since we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with Christ. And this is a matter of belief. What do you believe to be true? We believe that we not only died, but we're going to live with Christ. And notice that in both cases, it is through our identification with Christ as we saw in the end of Romans chapter 5, you're either identified with the old Adam or the new Adam. With the old man or with Christ. And our identification is with Christ, with his death and resurrection. 
And in that verse, this is what Paul is saying, just reminding us of that. Since this is true, that we died with Christ, we, we also believe we're, we shall live with him. So we believe and we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. So he dies no more, and death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So continuing the theme of he died and he lives. But he, he dies no longer because um, death no longer has dominion over him. Well, you might wonder, when, when did death have dominion over Christ? Well, he died for our sin. Remember Hebrews, I mean, Romans 5, 12 said that with, with Adam, sin came into the world. And with sin, death, and death passed to all men. Well, the, the, the sting of sin is death. And because Christ took on our sin, he died. And so there was a time, a period of time in which death had dominion over him. He died on the cross, was placed in the grave. And of course, we know he had power over that death. But for a short while, death had dominion over him. But the point that Paul's making is that knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he doesn't die anymore because death no longer has any dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Death no longer has dominion because he died to sin once for all. The book of Hebrews makes a point of this in chapters uh, 8, 9, and 10, and especially Hebrews chapter 10 talks about the fact that the the high priest sacrificed every day and all those sacrifices that they offered could never take away the guilt of man. But this one man, Jesus Christ, by one sacrifice for all time, he has forever paid for our sin and he is sanctifying those who come to him. So it's a, he died once for all. He doesn't continue to die. Um, and he, he lives to God. He, um, and that is for always. He died, notice that's past tense, but he lives is the present tense. He died once for all, but he lives always for God. So now, based on that truth, Paul is going to now... Um, make application to us so that's why he begins with likewise here the main point being uh, the issue of dominion who has dominion over us death and sin or life and God who has rightful dominion over us so he says likewise you also reckon yourselves that, that means to to count on it this is a, an accounting term that means you, you can bank on this. You can count this to be true for you. You reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. 
And, and notice that we are uh, reckoning yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God, picking up the death and life here. And we are dead to sin and alive to God. Just as, as Jesus, was, he died to sin and is alive to God, likewise, we also are dead to sin and we live to God. So our identification is, is complete in him. And it is, it is with him and in him. See, the alive to God in Christ Jesus. So if we died with him, we live with him, we consider yourselves, count on this, bank on it, that you died to sin, but you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And because this is true, then that's how you live your life. If, if that's true of you, biblically, theologically, then that should have something to do with your decisions uh, day by day. And so because that's true, there are, there are choices to be made. So choose. Therefore, um, and Paul gives several imperatives in a row, do not let sin reign. Do not present your members, but present your members. Those all three are, like the reckon, are imperatives. Those are commands. You have a choice to make now. Because this is, this is true of you, and we have faith in this, we know that this is true because God says it is, then you have a choice to make about how you're going to live your life, is what he's saying. And choose to not let sin reign. Now we, we saw that um, uh, the power of sin was broken as we, we looked at the first part of Romans 6 last week. That sin should not reign just like it doesn't have dominion over Christ. It shouldn't have dominion over us because we are in him. So don't let it reign. Yeah, there may be presence of sin in your life, but the, the penalty of sin has been paid for by the cross, right? And the power of sin has been broken by the cross as we identify with Christ. So to rule in you, don't let it rule in your life. That's what Paul's saying. And he says, um, uh, he says this several ways. One is, um, don't let it rule in your mortal body or in your members but present yourselves and your members to God um, now do, do not let sin reign in your mortal body why say your mortal body well because your immortal soul is beyond the reach of Satan the, the powers of hell cannot touch your immortal soul. As, um, as Jim read to us from John uh, 5.24, if, if we believe in Christ, we have passed already from death to life. There is no condemnation, no judgment. Uh, and we'll see that in Romans 8.1. Uh, now, therefore, is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. So our immortal souls are beyond the reach of, of sin and Satan. But our mortal bodies, 
these instruments in which we interact with the world, that's what we've got to watch for. Now, because Paul says it four, uh, three different ways here. Your mortal body, your members, which he uses twice. And remember when uh, we were talking about the church as a body, and we are members in particular. So it's still building on the body analogy, and our, our members of our body are our various body parts. And then the most general way is just to say, yourself. Don't present yourself, but... To, as instruments of or weapons of unrighteousness but present yourselves to God uh, because this is important and uh, Paul is going to say more about the mortal body later and our problem with sin I just want to look at a few verses in reference to this so even though your immortal spirit cannot be touched or tainted by sin your mortal body the how you are living in this world now can be. And let's look at a few verses. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your, what? Your bodies. That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, verse 2 builds on that some. As in, in a few months, when we get to Romans 12, we'll really focus on these two verses, but... Verse 2 says, And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So talking about your body being presented includes your mind, how you think. In fact, that's the core of how you interact with the world. You're, if, your body, if your mind is asleep, your body's probably not doing very much other than twitching or something. But as you, when you're awake and your mind is at work, your mind is the one telling the body what to do. You know, to walk over here, to take this, or, and what not to do. Don't touch that. Don't steal this, you know. So your mind is controlling your body. They're connected. But we interact with this world with our, our body. We want to present our body as a sacrifice. Uh, go back to Romans 8, 22 and 23. Romans 8, starting at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. And not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, which is the redemption of our, what? Body. The redemption of our, our body. We're, we're going to get a new one one of these days. And that, that new body, as 1 Corinthians 15 talks about, is not only incorruptible in the sense that it's not going to have any health problems, any pain issues, it's going to be incorruptible in the more significant way in that it will not sin or be able to sin. That body. This body can. So we're, we groan within ourselves, waiting for the redemption of the body. In the meantime, we are fighting against sin 
uh, Romans 7 verse 18 for I know that in me I know that in me that is specifically in my flesh nothing good dwells for to will is present with me but how to perform what is good I do not find you ever experienced that you have good intentions I really want to do the right thing and and I blow it that's what Paul is identifying with there and when we get to Romans 7 in a few weeks we'll see how Paul describes his struggle but I want to skip down to his uh, conclusion to the matter just briefly verse 22 for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man but I see another law in my members Paul was talking about our body and our members uh, in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members O wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death I'm not going to give away the answer but it's in the next verse Go back to Romans 6. So, this is why Paul is talking about um, not letting sin reign, have mastery over you in your mortal body or in your members or in yourselves, that you should not obey it in its lust. And uh, so, the obeying it goes back to the, the reign of sin which and the dominion uh, it doesn't have dominion over Christ death or sin and no, Paul is saying likewise it shouldn't have any dominion over you that you should obey it in its lust you are not bound to obey it uh, but here, here's the deal don't present your body or your members as weapons of unrighteousness but as weapons of righteousness. And the idea of the weapons here, some translations say instruments, but it is a word uh, most often translated weapons. It's a word used of a Roman soldier when he is, he is armored. He's said to, to be with weapon. Um, this is a reminder that this is a spiritual battle that we are in. And, and you are either yielding your body to, for Satan to use like uh, an instrument or a weapon for unrighteousness. Or you are yielding your body to be used by as a weapon for righteousness. And it's a choice. Choose which of those you're going to do. Do not let sin, don't let it happen. But present your, your members as, uh, as being alive from the dead but alive to God in Christ Jesus and being alive from the dead uh, and your members as instruments for righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion. This is Paul's conclusion now in verse 14. Um, as he talked about sin not having dominion over him, over Christ, it shall not have dominion over you because you are with him you are in him he died to sin he lives to God 
you count yourself as being dead to sin alive to God and choose to do that then sin will not have dominion over you why? for you are not under law but under grace and the under has refers back to the idea of dominion who are you under? not law but you are under grace under the domain the reign the rule of grace in your life that's what should rule over you God's grace don't let sin rule over you now uh, just one other quick thing about here the notice the future here shall not have dominion over you um, it is a true future but it uh, can certainly be taken with a present application uh, for instance when God says you shall not steal well that means today too not just tomorrow and in the future right it's, it's a future that includes today at this moment and ongoing and that's the way I think this future should be taken don't let it you, it shall not but it is also a reminder because it is in the future that the ultimate victory awaits us that we still groan within ourselves waiting for the redemption of our body when this mortal shall put on immortality there will be one day that we won't we won't have this battle we won't have the, the daily choice but that God will redeem us completely from even the, the, the uh, presence of sin he's broken the power and the penalty and one day even the presence of sin will be gone now um just want to draw a few conclusions from this a few application points at the um, the bottom of your outline there there are um, four things in particular that I think uh, this passage, uh, passage is calling us to do the first is believe the truth you see that believe if we died with Christ we believe we believe that we shall also live with him. We believe the truth. We walk by faith, not by sight. The way we conduct ourselves in this world is we live by faith. And we walk by, by faith, not by feelings. There may be times when you're, you're not feeling this. That I'm, a, I'm dead to sin and alive to God. Well, maybe you've just sinned and in that moment you're feeling pretty defeated right and you're wondering what's going on and I don't feel very dead to sin but you believe that what God is saying is true not how you're feeling in the moment but by faith in what God has said and this is this is not deep theological truth here this is basic gospel truth that we believe that we died with Christ we will live with him we believe the gospel he died and he was buried and he rose again that's the essence of the gospel right if we believe that the gospel is able to save us change our eternal destiny can we believe that it will change our daily life sure it's amazing to me that people are willing to put their faith in their, their eternal destiny whether they're going to heaven or hell based on what Christ has done for them and that's what we should do well what's amazing to me is that people will at the same time wonder am I going to be able to make it through today and 
Am I going to be able to grow as a Christian? And God is saying, yes. If we believe this, that we are with him, you can believe that God is going to keep working in you. So believe the truth. And secondly, we know the truth. We, knowing this, that Christ having been raised from the dead, there's no doubt in this. This is knowing the truth. And the only way to base your life on truth is to know it. You've got to be in the word and know this is what God says. This is how I'm supposed to look at life and look at God and look at choices. Knowing the truth will guide you to live the truth. David said, your word I have hidden in my heart so that I can win Bible memorization contests. No, your word I've hidden in my heart so I'll know how to live. So I won't sin against you right knowing the truth so believe the truth knowing the truth count on the truth count it to be true reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God this is not just some abstract theological concept that you know okay this is what God says about him but this is something that applies personally to you today you know the truth and it you count it to be true of you notice this that you reckon yourselves to be dead to sin count that to be true every day and fourth you choose the truth that's the idea here uh, of don't let sin don't present your body but present yourselves you choose the truth you have choices before you every day of whether you're going to live the truth or not and the idea is to reject the reign of sin and death you choose to reject it it has no right to rule over you and you commit to the reign of God and life in your life now don't let sin reign means that it's possible for sin to reign it has no right to do it but it might do it and a, and a Christian should not let sin reign in their lives um, let me just close with uh, application uh, analogy <clears throat> we all fight against sin something common to all of us is that even though we have been justified that is declared righteous before God that we are still being sanctified we are growing towards Christ likeness and during this growth process we still sin so we are waging battle against sin in our mortal bodies so I want to use an analogy of fighting sin uh, and boxing um, Paul uses boxing as an analogy in 1 Corinthians 9 so the door for me to be able to use it since he used it um, 
and, and boxing is not a pleasant kind of analogy. I don't know if you've watched any boxing or, or uh, have in the past. My stepfather was a prize fighter, a boxer for several years. And uh, he would teach me through uh, watching boxing on TV. You see how he let his right hand drop. You see how he covered up. You see how he did this and that. And he, so he's teaching me uh, the finer points of the pugilistic arts. And uh, so I, I learned quite a bit. Uh, unfortunately, most of my training came by hands-on experience. Uh, but I did learn some things about, about boxing. And I just want to, to bring out a few corollaries. For one thing, fights are long. Now, I'm not talking about a situation in which you have a, a knockout, in maybe in the first round or second round or something, but fights are designed, especially professional fights, are designed to go 10 or 12 rounds. And each round is three minutes long. Well, three minutes doesn't sound like much, but let me tell you, when you're standing toe-to-toe -to -toe someone and they want to beat your head in, three minutes is an eternity. And you, you've got to both be defensive and offensive. And every second there in the ring is like a second in the dentist chair with his drill getting ready to go. You know, uh, three minutes is a long time, right? So what, what I'm saying is a fight is a long battle. And every day you wake up is the next round. And you're going to fight that battle all day. It is a long battle. And, and sin is like that. It's just not going to give up. A fighter who, who is able to make, make it all the way through all the rounds is said to go the distance. If, if you go the distance, you have a chance of of winning, at least um, being judged that way. So we need to stay in the fight, is the idea. Um, we want to be able to say with Paul, as he did toward the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I've gone the distance, basically. I've finished the course. The battle is long and it is daily. Fights are brutal. Um, and, and that's really the thing I don't like about fighting, uh, the, the brutality of it. Um, but I wanted to use this as an analogy because you, you know what? Fighting sin is brutal. Uh, you're, going to, you're going to be bloodied by the fight you're, you're going to take punches in your gut you're, you're going to be knocked down a few times here's what I'm saying in, in our fight against sin count on it you are going to be hit when a fighter enters the ring and let's say he's going he knows that the bout is called for 10 rounds 
10 three-minute rounds. And every second of every round, his opponent is trying to land a punch. He knows he is going to be hit. It's how often and where and how hard that he tries to mitigate. He tries to defend against. But he's, he knows he's going to be hit. You know that in this life, as, you've, as you enter the round of Monday tomorrow, that your opponent and sin is after you and you are going to take a punch. You're going to be hit. It's brutal. Don't be surprised if you take a hit to the gut. What do you do? You, do you quit? I mean, can you imagine two fighters enter a ring and the first time somebody gets hit, I'm quit. <laughs> Where's my mommy? <laughs> no. You, you stay in the ring and you learn from your mistakes and you keep punching, you keep trying. When uh, James Cor Corbett won the boxing uh, heavyweight championship of the world, uh, someone asked him how he was able to become the champion. He's, and he said just this four short words. Fight one more round. That was his philosophy. James Corbett was just, he, he was a brick house of a, of a man who could just take punches and deliver devastating punches. And he, his whole idea was to outlast the opponent. Just to take, I'll, when the, the bell rings for the next round, I'm getting up, whether they do or not. I'm going to be there. I'm getting up. I'm going to face it. And the last man standing is going to be me. That was his philosophy. Just, just one more round. Why, why do we take hits? I, I said a moment ago that you can count on it. We, you're going to take hits. Sin is going to hit you. Um, why? Still drawing upon some analogies from boxing. One of the main reasons is we let our guard down. Right? You, you picture a, a boxer in the ring... And those arms get heavy after a few rounds. You're trying to land punches and your arms just get so heavy and they start drooping, they start dropping. And when you let your guard down, whether it's out of uh, just being tired or, or you're not concentrating enough, you let your guard down. That's when your opponent is going to take advantage. In the Christian life, if you, if you are complacent, you're going to let your guard down. And, and the enemy will attack then. You, are, you always have to be in the fight. You can never let your guard down. Every day is around. You always have to be on the watch out. Second is a lack of focus. It's devastating to a fighter if, if he is not focused, totally focused every second on his opponent and where his gloves are, where his feet are, how he's moving, everything has to be focused on, on the fight. If someone calls to him from the sidelines and he lets that, uh, from outside the ring, he lets that call his attention away for a second, then he, he's going to get hit. 
Where's your focus? Our, our focus needs to be on Christ and what it means to live for Him. On Christ, what it means to live for Him. We are with Him. We are in Him, Paul says. Count on it. Focus on Him. Um, another reason a fighter takes a hit is because of lack of condition just out of shape and that wears on as, as the battle the fight goes on lack of condition we have to condition ourselves spiritually build ourselves up now that's why we call about we talk about edifying one another and what does edify mean to build up one another to condition one another because we are, we're in the spiritual match and we need to be stronger and as Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, he says, exercise yourself toward godliness. Exercise yourself. And that word exercise is the, the Greek word agonizo. It's, it's, you really put yourself into it. You agonize. Uh, you exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So, the lack of condition. Um, and the, one more, and I'll, I'll be done with the illustration here, but when you, uh, when a fighter takes on a protective stance, uh, it's like us when we turn inward. You can, you can always tell a fighter going into protective mode that universally they do this. You ever seen a fight where, where they do this? They take up that stance? It's called the, the peekaboo mode because they're kind of peekabooing through their, their gloves. So they call it the peekaboo mode. And they're looking at the other fighter like this. Why are they doing this? They're covering up their face with their gloves and their body with their arms. They're, they're, they, in that moment... When, when you see a fighter do this, in that moment they have given up. In that moment they have said, I can't, I can't take this. All I can do is kind of withdraw to myself and retreat and protect myself. And, and, and you will see them do this. Um, uh, when we draw into ourselves like that, we go into that kind of mode where we just we just cover up and we turn inward then we set ourselves up for failure when a person turns inward like that they are they're not open to the ministry of other people helping them when people turn inward like that that leads to depression when when people turn inward like that that, that is they're saying my highest concern is my own self instead of others or God when we turn inward then we're saying we're giving up the fight if you find yourself turning inward realize that that's what you're saying and Paul is saying don't give up the fight Choose. You've you got to reckon yourself and choose. These four things, if you do them, 
will enable you to be victorious in the fight. Believe the truth. Maybe you've been believing a lie about yourself or about your situation, but believe the truth. Know the truth. Get into the word. What does God say about himself and how I'm to live? Count on it to be true. Live your life based on it by choosing Uh, I'm not going to let this rule my life. I want God to rule my life. Not this, but God. Make a choice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have won the victory for us. That as we stand in you, you count us as victorious already. And though we go through daily rounds of battle, you are the one who bring us through. Through the power of your spirit, through the direction of your word, you strengthen us and you guide us. Lord, we pray that we would see sin for what it is, that we would reject it in our lives that we would choose you and choose the way of life, count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. God bless you.